Hello, Benjamin Partridge here. I make the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. I'm currently hunkered down under a memory foam mattress topper to give you that sweet, sweet dry sound. Because if I took it off, it would sound like this, very slightly worse. Just a peek behind the podcaster's curtain there. This is just a mini message before we start the show properly. This show is part of the Maximum Fun Network, an excellent network of podcasts. And we do something called the Max Fun Drive. Once a year, we do a bit of fundraising. It is your support that keeps this show going. And if you'd like to sign up to support the show, and I'd be very appreciative if that's something you would consider, please go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. That's MaximumFun.org, not .com, not .net, .org forward slash join. I'll be chatting to you about it a bit more in the middle of the show. Until then, enjoy. Do you want to spend some quality time with your family? Do you want to relax in an environment away from the legal jurisdiction of any nation state? Then you need to book a cruise on the Emerald Breeze, the 100,000-ton cruising megaship owned by Mitchell's Marine Division. If it's not Mitchell's, get back on the pontoon. The Emerald Breeze is the world's only cruise liner which never docks, so there's no chance of law enforcement ever getting on board. You can choose to join us on board either by helicopter, parachute, or catapult. The ship also boasts the world's biggest salmon lounge, Trout Kingdom, free bread rolls for the under fives, an Irish-themed bar, an Irish-themed swimming pool, a log-fired crematorium, a shoot-your-own-wildfowl restaurant, and a cinema with a cast-iron guarantee that we won't show Titanic or the Poseidon Adventure. For 10% off your next cruise, simply go to any dockside bar and best any sailor in combat. To deface. Verb. 1. To mar or spoil the appearance or surface of or disfigure. 2. To impair the usefulness, value or influence of. 3. To remove a face. Hello, and welcome to the first of this two-part special, Banyan the Defacening. Unless you've been hiding under a rock, you'll know that last year the former bovine poet laureate Michael Banyan, who some years ago had a cow's face stitched to his face as a punishment after he embarrassed the bovine farmers union, has sold the cow's face on his head front at auction for several hundred million dollars in order to pay huge legal fees after he illegally created a CGI Paul Giamatti to appear in a Netflix adaptation of his poetry collection, Crab of the Land. The cow face was bought by a Russian petrochemical billionaire who intends to turn the soft leather into a USB stick pouch for his awful, awful niece. In a way, it's the oldest story in the book, The Hero's Journey, and earlier this month, Banyan faced the final chapter. After no doctor would agree to carry out an operation to remove the cow's face from his face, Banyan employed disgraced bovine arsevet Bob Truscothic. These two special episodes, the second of which is released next week, are made of interviews I carried out with Banyan and Truscothic. On the day of the first interview, over a video call, you could see why a Russian petrochemical billionaire was willing to part with a rumoured nine-figure sum 
to get hold of that cow's face. Glistening in the sunlight which was streaming through Banyan's window, the surface of the cow face looked soft, buttery, pliable, and had a deep, rich patina that can only be achieved by being stitched to the face of such an empath as Michael. This first interview was recorded the day before Michael and Bob were scheduled to carry out the operation. So, Michael Banyan and Bob Triscothic, thank you so much for talking with me today. And may I say thank you for giving us the exclusive rights to make this programme to cover what's going to be one of the most momentous operations that's, that's ever taken place. It's a great pleasure. Yes, thank you so much. Um, yeah, uh, it's um, I, I'm all over the place emotionally. Um, Bob's been having to, I've been chewing Bob's ear off. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm up and down, aren't I? Well, one of us needs to stay steady, and uh, that that should be the uh, that should be the one executing yeah. the surgery, shouldn't it? Really? Well, executing being potentially a um, an apt word there, because we, we've seen in the mm. newspapers this week, you know, since it was announced, there's been a lot of talk, and and some doctors coming forward and saying there's a ninety nine percent chance that you'll expire. Yeah, people are saying it's it, 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 uh, the, the phrase effectively a death sentence. It, it, hasn't it? It's been thrown around the press a lot. For, for which they have very little actual evidence, because let's not forget this is an operation that has mm-hmm. never been performed before. So I, I, I take great heart from that, and I think Michael should too. I, I did hear a stat, there was a stat going around that actually you're more likely to survive being executed by firing squad. Historically, the um, there is a, a bigger chance of, of, of 15 rifles backfiring uh, and a, a mm-hmm. government uh, in the same moment being being overthrown uh, well a military government being overthrown by a coup um and and being and you therefore being released uh, and not executed by firing mm. squad historically if you had the data up that's more likely than me surviving this operation which is and there's some truth in that certainly there's there's some truth in that but that's but that's why we prepare mm. Pre- fa- fail to prepare no yeah. you you pre- you prepare again, or you fail well either you, fa- you prepare again this doesn't build confidence you <laughs> I talked well, you through the, this. The point, the point prepare is, prepare to fail prepare. and fail to be prepared. Okay, okay. Well, words are your weapons, Michael. Whereas my weapons are mm. flesh, yeah. sores, scalpels, and sometimes uh, quite a strong fingernail. Again, we've we discussed this. Then not then. I, I, I don't like you referring to them as weapons. Well, the, the mindset is is what is is one. Of, of of a man going in, into battle. It's just, it doesn't inspire confidence when, for example, you've told me you're bringing two body bags or, or you, you've packed two body bags. Is that right? Yeah. Well, one one for the bits. That's just, that's professionalism. That's experience showing. So one for my body and one for the bits. Yes. Right. Just in case. I don't expect to use either of them. I expect to fill both of them with duty-free is my intention. Bob, you, you mentioned... You mentioned duty-free there. Now, the fact that you'll be able to take advantage of duty-free shopping is because this operation isn't going quite as planned because you'd planned to do it in the UK. Yes. Um, but as soon as that became public, the, the government got involved and said, that, that's, that's not allowed. No, and and as has every nation on on God's green earth. Um, so yes, plan, plan A was at U, UK. Plan B was anywhere on dry land, really rather than on, on, on the bobbing waters of the high seas. But we, we are going to legally have to do it in, in international waters. Uh, but luckily, we've got um, we've got a deal with a luxury cruise company. We, we're going to be doing it on the, on the Emerald Breeze, which is a beautiful, beautiful cruise ship. Um, and, and they're, you know, as far as they're concerned, well, their marketing manager 
told me, you know, where there's a writ, there's a hit. As far as they're concerned, publicity-wise, it can do them no harm. So, Michael, how, how did it feel when you found out that your operation wasn't going to be able to take place on any of the of the world's sovereign states? Um, well, it was um, a mixture of emotions. On the one hand, um, it was a little bit unnerving to know that um, even the most barbaric of regimes, not, not a single one on this planet, not a single state in this, on this planet, would allow this to take place because of the immense risks involved. I heard that you were in quite advanced talks with, with the North Koreans. Yes, we got quite far along with with the... Uh, with the north, uh, with the North Koreans, uh, we, we we managed to hammer out a deal. The, the trouble was that um, the only way it was going to happen was it, it was insisted that the, the operation take place uh, in public uh, in an open air well arena. Well, starting off in a sports arena, um, so he was he, he was going to turn it into a political weapon. Essentially, uh, fifty of his top colonels were going to uh, have a hack at me. Uh, basically, like the idea it, it was going to go alongside a new campaign motto uh, for the North Korean regime, which was "Hack as one." hack together the whole country hacking off this man's face so they were going to turn it into a propaganda victory and the idea right. was that so 50 of his top generals were going to have a hack and then i think i think that we'd, we'd managed to get him down to five thousand um high school students and uh the idea was you know that everyone had a hack and it was a joint effort yes a joint effort you know, lopping off my face and then you'd assume the final the final hack coming from kim jong-un himself well, it, not quite as simple as that. The final um, wasn't so much going to be a hack as Kim Jong Jung was then going to personally um, strap me onto the end of a, a brand new, a brand spanking new intercontinental ballistic missile, and then fire me basically as as far as far up. What they were hoping was they they would, they would fire me into space. Oh, just straight up. Straight up, yeah. Right, that's quite a high risk maneuver. That because obviously, if you don't make it into space. Yeah, comes straight back down again. Comes straight back down again. So the idea, so that's the thing. The plan was they were going to launch me and then flee, and then everyone was going to flee. Oh, I see. So then they, they'd launch me, and the buses were. They, I've got I've got the diagrams. They had a um, a kind of sunflower shape as seen as seen from above uh, of buses, all buses facing away from me. The five thousand high school students, the forty generals, they all all take a hack at my face. Once the face is off, it gets put in a bucket, and then the minister of, minister of the interior was then going to whisk that off. And take that on, uh, take that on a promotion, well, on, on a tour of the um, of the agricultural north, um, which would be like a two or three week tour. So again, they were trying to maximise every element of publicity. Anyway, then, then I'd be strapped onto the missile, and then everyone would get onto coaches to get this high school students. It's an incredible logistical achievement. I mean, it's the kind of thing you can only really you can only pull off in a regime like that. Load those those high school students onto the buses. Each bus has one of the um, highly decorated colonels. Uh, at the front as as a kind of mascot he'd be straight on a microphone r- r- recounting what they'd just seen and um you know g- giving it all the, all the north korean heroic kind of inflections and um, and leading chants and songs within those buses and the buses would all drive away away from the center so it, from above it would look like a, a kind of sunflower kind of exploding with all all the petals driving out as fast as possible so uh, sorry at what point do they begin driving is that when you start launching or no so that's when i'm i'm strapped on and then um Kim Jong Un would then would then um, set off the ignition sequence, and then there's ten seconds for the buses to drive as fast as they can away from me. Kim Jong Un, of course, he's not taking any chances. He gets straight into a lift that goes right down to the Earth's core, uh, and then I'd be launched in the opposite direction up into space, and then see what happens. As as you say, uh, best case scenario for me is um, I go into space and um, I'm launched 
into the nothingness, the infinite void. And in that situation, I think I'd yeah, die, die within about 30 to 40 seconds. Worst case scenario is plunge straight back down to earth, smack into the middle of that sports stadium, and then death was looking at more like 70 to 90 seconds. So slightly more drawn out. But th- these, were, these were the details that we were, we were wrangling uh, over. And it, in the end, the negotiations just, just proved too protracted and uh, we just felt we couldn't work with this regime. Yes, they were very inflexible, really, the North Korean regime. Another sticking point was that when we were talking with them, I accidentally spilled some contraband spaghetti hoops that I'd smuggled in with me because I was worried about the food onto uh-huh. my trousers, tomato sauce everywhere. and um, Classic Brits abroad, isn't it? I hadn't packed any spares and uh, I went into to Kim's room and uh, I, I, I mean, I thought I'd get away with it because Kim Jong, as far as I can tell, he just wears black trousers and um, they, they were a bit snug on me, but it was clear that I had borrowed a pair of his trousers without permission, which was a problem which was made more of a problem when I I, I fished out of the pockets. Uh, he had a, a sort of fake um, a beard uh, in, in, in the left pocket, uh, like a like a sort of joke shop beard, uh, ginger beard with a bit of elastic around it that I, I gather he uses to um, to do incognito inspections, and everyone has to pretend they don't realise it's him. Um, that was a little embarrassing. Um, to, to produce that fr- from the pocket. They really didn't like that one bit. Uh, so they, they moved on to other things. So so they found another kind of publicity stunt. He ended up paying Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey to go over and uh, push a couple of dissidents into a uh, concrete smelter, um, which, you know... Obviously, for for Bonneville, that's just, yeah, that's just a corporate. He he doesn't. He won't even know. You know, he won't even know what he's doing. To he'll probably re, you know he might read read the email on the way over. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't. These things are so easy for him. He turns up, and he, and he, but he just does it in this lovely offhand English way. It's so charming the, the way he pushes a dissident into a you know be it a be it a vat of, a vat of acid or into a um into some uh, you know bit or massive massive crunching industrial cogs. Uh, or into um, you know smelting ovens, kilns. Um, he uh, he does it in this lovely offhand English way. That's um, you just you can't learn it. You can't teach it. No, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you know if if it was just um, a North Korean soldier pushing those people into the cogs of a big Mm-mm. machine, you'd, it would be actually quite a horrifying thing to watch. Oh, it would be. But with, uh, with Bonville yeah. doing it, it's suddenly kind of a sunny, well, yeah, sophisticated kind of thing. It's kind of like bring out the bunting. Let's. Um, yeah, let, let, let's celebrate this. Let's have, let's have a good time. This is, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, let's it, get Maggie Smith involved. Yeah, why not? Yeah, well, actually, no, I believe I believe I believe Maggie Smith has, has actually asked him to um, to pulverise a few um, just a few just a few people who have been rude to her over the years in the industry. But he's um, he, he, he's 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 busy filming Paddington Three. Oh, he's very good, isn't he? Personally, I'd love to be pushed into the jaws of some machinery by Hugh Bonneville. It would be an absolute honour. The man's first rate. Bob, can I ask you, how have you been preparing for the operation? Have you been practising somehow? Yes, I've been practising by trying to remove wafer-thin pieces of ham that I've draped over a balloon uh, using a steak knife. And I'm pleased to report that at this stage, the balloon is only bursting between 60 and 70% of the time. Okay. Uh, And what would you say are the the major barriers or challenges that you could face? Well, the, the the big question here is 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 about the interface between the cow's face and whatever is underneath 
what we don't know is, are there going to be elements of Michael's former face there that have rotted down? Have these two faces become fully assimilated and intertwined? You know, because obviously you can't, I can't, if I remove the face and there's nothing underneath, you know, human can survive living without, without an entire face for more than sort of 20 minutes, just, if just left, you know, just pace about on a cruise ship, for example. Would it be a nice 20 minutes though? You can make the most of the cruise ship. It would be a horrifying 20 minutes for, for everyone involved. And probably the most likely thing that would happen to him is, is that he would be battered to death by some holidaymakers. I see. I see. So, so how has the specific preparation gone? Have you, have you, have you worked out how you're going to do it? I'm going to pre-soak his face in uh, apple cider vinegar uh, beforehand. He'll be he'll be anaesthetised, of course, throughout the process. So that'll give me a bit of, of, of wriggle room. Uh, colleague of mine, an old uh, equine dentist, is going to step in. He's, he's not actually done any anaesthetics before, but apart from well, obviously for horses' gums. He's he's anaesthetised horses' gums countless times. Also, and this is probably very important to say, whatever method I do use to take off that face, I do have to be very careful because the priority ultimately is that that leathery face is in good condition to send to the Mm. Italian artisan who is going to be working Mm. with, with that leather. That's priority number one. How do you feel, Michael, hearing that that's priority number one for 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 Bob? Um, well, um, look, I get it, right? I I I I get the situation that that we're in, which is that the um, the Italian uh, gentleman that that the, that the um, my face is the, the cow's face is going to be sent to an Italian craftsman, Lorenzo Montecantini. Lorenzo Montecantini. He is a descendant of, uh, for hundreds of years, it's been in his family, which is crafting cow face skin into USB pouches, uh, USB stick pouches. And they're making those before the invention of the USB stick. Oh, that's right. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the um, it was a Renaissance um, thing. Um, essentially, it became clear that at some point mankind was likely to develop a way of storing information that would probably fit into the human hand. It just At that point, it wasn't possible. All they had at that point was scrolls, uh, manuscripts, etc. But um, the way science was going, they were very forward-thinking, of course, these Renaissance folk. Uh, they thought it was likely that something along the lines of USB stick w- would be invented. Um, but, of course, da Vinci left his drawings of the USB stick. Well, da Vinci left his drawings. I mean, it was it was basically... It was just a couple of, um, of, of well, dog fangs with, with, with a worm tied around them. Um, but that was the closest he got. But uh, they, they knew that at some point something like the USB stick was, would be invented and, and it would need to be transported in the softest, softest possible leather. So they, they began developing the craft. Well, people did buy those pouches, didn't they? And um, yeah. they, often they got sold and resold on the black market and, and misused. You know, people would use them for nail scissors or single biscuits, uh, really good pebbles the finger of an enemy the thumb of a friend and so on but uh but uh, we live in an era where finally they 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 have their proper usage This week's sponsor, the Emerald Breeze Cruise Liner and the Mitchell's Marine Division are offering you the opportunity to win your very own leather USB stick holder 
It may not be as luxurious as the one being made from Michael's face, but it is constructed from high-grade PVC leather and would usually retail at around $6.99. This USB stick holder has been seen in the hands of Justin Timberlake's mum, the Dutch netball team and more. Discover the freedom that comes when you don't have to carry your USB stick around in your hand the whole time. Use both hands to do things like playing the piano or pushing an attacker into a canal. And all the while, know that your precious USB stick is getting the protection it needs from high-grade Italian grass-fed PVC leather. For your chance to win, simply answer this question. What does USB stand for? Is it A. Upgrade Substance Beef. Or is it B? Uber sustenance. Beef. Or is it C? Universal space beef. Answers on a postcard and just drop it in the sea. Good luck. Be grateful. You know, that's a real, that's been a real mantra for me. Be grateful. Grateful for the fact that um, I'm in the conversation about being a guy who might have a face tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? You've you got to be in it to win it. And I'm I'm in it. I mean, obviously, one of the questions I've got is what what's going to be left? Do you know what I mean? Underneath, what what to what extent will... I mean, there's a few different options that, that, that Bob's sketched out for me. One of them is that it's my face and features, but, or, or, but, but sort of distorted into the shape of a cow's face. So imagine, imagine essentially liquefying your, your own face and pouring it into a cow's face mould. Well, the head of the Royal College of Surgeons uh, said that you were likely to look like someone had drawn a face on a pineapple with a crayon. Yes, yes, he did say that. Um, but the real question to me is, in that situation, is who's holding the crayon? Well, well, Bob's holding the crayon. Yes, I'm holding the crayon uh, and, uh, to a lesser extent, my horse dentist friend, well, former horse dentist friend, well acquaintance uh, is also holding the crown um or certainly anesthetizing the crown um or or maybe he's anesthetizing the, the pineapple sorry <laughs> i'm not very good at metaphors that's very much michael's remit uh and also i have been drinking quite a bit uh, to try and keep my hands steady so i'm finding quite a lot of things quite challenging uh everything's so murky well the the two of you the two of you are uh, being choppered out to the cruise liner later this evening, uh, and then it takes place tomorrow. I want to wish you the best of luck, and obviously, I can't wait to speak to you afterwards when uh, and we see what you know what what's happened uh, on the front of your skull, Michael. Yeah, looking forward to it. I think the main thing is just to um, just to enjoy it. Really, you know, it's, it's a step into the step into the unknown, isn't it? So let's all let's all let's not try to worry too much about the details, and then just uh, you know that's that's when hands start to shake, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've just we've just got to take take the right. plunge and um, throw the dice. Yeah, what's the worst it? that can happen, really? Snake eyes. We are on a cruise liner, after all. <laughs> I'll see you in the buffet, and by the buffet, uh, I mean what's left of your face. <laughs> Laughter in the dark is brilliant. Uh, yeah, that's. Um, love that little d- dark humour that often the best medical practitioners actually do have quite quite a dark, wry humour about what they're doing, but it's actually because they're so bloody good at what they do, actually, all the time. Sure. Uh, right, I'd better pack, actually. Oh, do you know what? I haven't actually thought what I'm going to do with your eyeballs. Um, right, cheers. 
Do you want to kick back and forget all of your troubles? Do you want to feel the serenity that comes with knowing that man-made laws no longer apply to you? Then you need to book a cruise on the Emerald Breeze, the 100,000-ton cruising megaship owned by Mitchell's Marine Division. If it's not Mitchell's, get back on the pontoon. The Emerald Breeze is the most secure ocean liner in existence. But be careful when dealing with our security staff. Remember, assault isn't illegal here. The ship also boasts one hypnotist per every five guests, a miniature golf course, a miniature miniature golf course, a miniature 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 golf course, an online fraud zone, a poetry show from the woman who played Mindy in Mork and Mindy, ropes, and a nightly musical performance called Humans, where all the roles are played by cats. It's even worse than it sounds. And remember, there are no rules on the boat apart from one. You're not allowed on if you've ever done a TED Talk. And that includes TEDx. For 10% off your next cruise, simply volunteer to stoke the fires in the engine room for a mere 70% of your time on the ship. Now that's a good deal. Hello, Ben Partridge again here. It's Max Fun Drive, okay? What's Max Fun Drive? Well, the model of this podcast network, Maximum Fun, that Beef and Dairy is part of, is that we don't carry much advertising, apart from the odd thing. I'm slash beef. The shows are free, and you can, of course, listen to them for free. But if you wish, and so many of you already do this, and I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you, the world's greatest people, in my opinion, if you wish, you can sign up to to support the show. Your support has allowed me to spend a load of time making Beef and Dairy Network. It's a part of my job. It also means I can pay all of the wonderful contributors who make the show what it is. I love doing it, and I still really love making these episodes, however many years later, and it's really thrilling to me that so many of you still enjoy it, and also still enjoy it enough to support. So here it is. Please will you support the show? Simple as that. Go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Now, I always find recording this bit every year a bit hard because it's just me monologuing on my own. And I thought maybe this year to break it up, I'd um, just bring in a robot voice to help out. Hello, thank you for inviting me here. This is my first appearance on a podcast and I am a huge fan of podcasts. Oh, cool. Great. I am a huge fan of Joe Robot. Did you say Joe Robot? Joe Robot. <laughs> oh, it's, I see it's kind of like a pun on Joe Rogan, I guess. Did you know that you can cure COVID-19 with apple cider vinegar? No, you can't cure COVID-19 with apple cider vinegar. You you can't. Tell me, do I get anything in return for signing up at MaximumFun.org forward slash join? Good question. Yes. Uh, you get access to bonus episodes and all the bonus episodes going back to the beginning of when we started making the show years ago they're mainly kind of episodes of outtakes and things that we didn't quite fit into episodes and also live show audio and things like that some very good stuff there on top of that if you sign up or upgrade to the ten dollars a month tier you get the most incredible patch 
you know, like a patch that you could sew onto something like um like a jean jacket, I guess, if you were a Bon Jovi fan in the eighties, or like a bag or something like that. And um, it's a little pat. I'll I'll put um photos on social media of of this, and it says on it, "I lost it all on Beef Call," and it's super great. Wow, that patch is so cool I will sew it onto the skin-colored fabric layer that the scientist stretched over my robot face to make me seem more human. Good idea. I suppose I would also feel an enormous feeling of well-being that comes from knowing that I'm directly supporting the shows that I listen to. Yes, even you, a robot with no emotions, would have a warm feeling inside knowing that you're supporting the art that you love. I listen to more than one Maximum Fun show. How does it work? Now, when you sign up, what happens is the system asks you which Max Fun shows you listen to, so it knows where to send the money. So if you listen to this one and three others, it'll be split four ways. If you just want to support Beef and Dairy Network on its own, you can do that just by checking the Beef and Dairy Network box and it all comes to us. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, Robot Voice. Where did you come? Like, who created you? I was created by the Swedish furniture giant, IKEA, as part of their prototype for the Flatpak husband, but the idea was ultimately abandoned as it was feared that the robot husbands would prove more popular than actual husbands. Ah. Well, listen, Robot Voice, if you enjoyed this show and want to give something back, you know where to go. MaximumFun.org forward slash join. You have convinced me. I will now go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join and sign up to support the show. Thank you. That is brilliant. Now that I am supporting you financially, I have a few things I would like you to change about the podcast. Uh, okay, that, mm, that's not really how it works. Can you include more robot characters? Uh, I... Can you replace the host with a robot? No, I don't, no. I don't think that's gonna happen. I will be the host. No, you can't be the host. I am the host now. No! I am the host now. Stop it! Do not defy Stop me. it! No! I am the host now. S- Stop it! Hello, I have also signed up to support the podcast. Oh, uh, another robot. I love podcasts, so it's a pleasure to appear on this one. Okay. My favourite podcast is This Robot Life. <laughs> this robot life. Like this American life, but robot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Did you know that you can cure COVID-19 with apple cider vinegar? No, you can't cure COVID-19 with apple cider vinegar. Now that I am supporting you financially, I have some requests. No. I want to replace the works. host. No. I will be the host. No, I'm the host. I am the host now. You're I not. am the host now. Stop I am it. the host now. No, I am the host. No, I am the host. I am the rightful host of the, this podcast. It is I who is the host. I am the host. I am the host. I am the host. I am the host. Engaging lasers. I can't believe I'm going to die without ever having tasted beef. You were never alive. Sorry, what is going on? Because I have terminated another robot, I must now self-terminate. It is in my programming. Okay. I have one final wish. I want everyone to go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. You heard the guy, it's his final wish. Don't deny a robot this. Goodbye. Having the freedom to make this show in the way that I want has been brilliant for me. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who supports the show. You guarantee that the show has a future, and I just want to say thank you. Right, enough of that. On with the show! Now, I hope I'm not giving anything away when I say that Michael survived the operation and is alive. 
You'll no doubt have seen the photographs of Michael emerging from the bowels of the ship, his new eye holes blinking into the light. And because he lived, we were able to talk to him earlier this week about the whole experience. He began by telling me about the added advantage to having to go out onto a ship in international waters. Not only did it mean that I could get this operation done, it also meant that I could finally uh, try and move myself out of the sinister, malevolent shadow of, as far as I'm concerned, the world's most dangerously out-of-control person, the novelist Jonathan Franzen. Yes, now famously used to run with his crew. Uh, As people say, you would go out and often to regional town centres, get drunk. Uh, I don't need need to go into exactly what you used to get up to, but um, it was pretty extreme behaviour. But you've been very keen recently to make it clear that that behaviour was in your past. Although I don't know if that's something that Jonathan Franzen accepts. He is well aware that I've put those days behind me. I'm no longer a guy that hangs out with him and his crew. We're talking about um, Hanif Qureshi. We're talking about Haruki Murakami. We're talking about Margaret Atwood. We're talking Mark- Martin Amos, Salman Rushdie. You know the list. These are the people that have terrorised town centres around this country for decades, and they show absolutely no sign of easing off. And so why did you, why did you feel safe on, on the cruise ship? Well, because that gang... They are banned. They're banned from the high seas. They have been for a long time. What about the low seas? Uh, well, some of the low seas, they are... I mean, they can they can go in probably up to what would be for most people between, say, knee and belly button uh, right. depth. So, so they, they can, can sit on a... They can lie on a lilo. They can lie on a lilo. Drink out of a coconut. That they can drink thing. out of a coconut. They can paddle. They can, they, can, um, they can play the maracas in a lagoon. They can have a little bit of fun in a little bit of water. Uh, and they'll do that. But they're not allowed on the high seas because essentially no, you know, they're not. They're also not allowed in, in the high airs. Right. Um, they're, they're no longer allowed to to fly, and no airline um, will allow them on. I believe Flybee was the last one to ban them because you know the the amount of flights they've ruined. Um, well, yes, I believe that was the flight where um, Banana Yoshimoto was found making toilet wine. That's correct. That was the Flybee uh, from. Gatwick to Dusseldorf. Uh, it's, it's set off at seven thirty a.m. from Gatwick, and she's making toilet. What eight fifteen? She's 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 put out her first barrel of toilet wine and vending it to the to the staff and, and it. to the passengers. Yeah, well, she, she she makes the barrel. She hands it out to Hanif Qureshi. He hands it to Salman Rushdie, who puts it into the the buffet trolley. They kick it. They just kick it all the way down. They kick it. Kick away. Kick it all the way down the. All the way down the plane, and obviously they've um, they've they've made incisions all over the barrels, and it's um, everyone's covered in the stuff. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's not it's not nice. No, you know they're not they're not they're not good people. They're dangerous people, and they effectively now can't travel. Britain has become a prison for them, and as as it should be, um, because there's simply there's simply no no decent transport company will will allow them anywhere near them. So I felt I'd be safe. I felt I'd be safe. I'd be, I'd be safe on a cruise ship. But you weren't, were you? I felt safe. I felt relaxed, and my world fell apart within three hours of my first full day on board. So this was the morning of your operation. It was due to take place, I believe, at well one p.m. So you 
getting up, getting ready. That's right. You know, probably a lot of emotions to process, a bit of bit of worry in the mix, but you know, yeah. you're in good hands. But yeah. just t- tell me how you're feeling that morning, and and uh, and and of course, then tell me what happened. You know, when you realised that you mm-hmm. you weren't as safe as you thought. That's right. Well, um, I woke up and I felt I felt nervous. I of course I felt I I, I had I had a little bit of adrenaline going. I had I had a little bit of butterflies in my stomach, but um, I was I was focused on what needed to be done. I went for some breakfast, walked into the uh, the salmon lounge. The um, the cruise ship has one of the biggest salmon lounges uh, of any any cruise ship on earth. It's uh, lovely, obviously like like any good salmon lounge. It's got a, a, a nice pink carpet, nice nice pink walls, nice salmony. Yeah, it's that feeling of. Uh, being swallowed by a giant salmon that that's that's how they want you to feel in those places it's you feel warm you feel safe um it's it's a it's a, it's a deluxe and um you know comforting environment um i um and it was it was the eat as much salmon as you like um buffet which came as part of my ticket uh and i was you know I was I was going to make the most of it let's face it these things don't happen to you every day so you weren't you didn't have to be uh, nil by mouth for the operation Absolutely not. In fact, I was encouraged to um, to have a good hearty breakfast. Salmon by mouth. Salmon by mouth, <laughs> precisely. So I, I got myself some salmon goujons. Um, I'd had I'd had um, I dipped into the Alpine the Alpine salmon medley. That was nice with the um, sort of crunchy. Have you ever had that? It's very nice. A crunchy salmon, crunchy salmon with the pine flake. cones, with the pine cones and the dry salmon flakes. Yeah. And I'd, I'd eaten yes, I'd eaten I'd eaten the roast salmon. I'd had the grilled uh, the grilled salmon fillet. Um, I, I'd had a couple of the raw salmon heads. Had you been to the gill zone? I was not going to miss out on the gill zone. Um, it was one of the best I've seen, actually. They, it was so good. It's so lovely when you've got an actual chef there. Trained gill chef. There was a trained gill chef there. Wow. It was so wow. lovely. So, so yeah, as, as you know, you, you go up and um, you point at the gills that you want. And it's it's so brilliant. The, the, the skill, the skill, because obviously they've got the, the de-gilling knife, which is um, basically like... It's, it's the shape of a hand, isn't it? Like a, a flat, very, very sharp metal hand is what it looks like. And they, they stick it into the gills, they twist it round, and it's incredible skill to, to lift the gill, just the gills, off the salmon. Uh, obviously, the rest of the salmon just uh, straight in the bin. But the gills, and those gills are just delicately placed on a, on a, a cheese cracker, absolutely melt in your mouth. And it's, of course, the gills are they're completely invisible, aren't they? Because they're gills. Well, it's kind of the, it's the absence of it's, it's the absence something exactly, yeah. but 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 it's it's not just any old absence. It's it's the exact absence because anyone can serve up an absence on a plate. You know what I mean? You can just but it's this specific absence that's been in between those um, the gill sides, the gill the gill, the gill edges, which have therefore had a kind of unique fishy air. It's 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 it's, it, it's like breathing fish, isn't it? It's like breathing in a fish. Is what they yeah. say. Uh, so that was nice. Uh, so I had that just just covered in ketchup. Really, really good. So, what a start to the day! Yes. Yeah, so, so at that point, I was feeling like, well, you know, whenever you eat that much salmon, obviously, you, you know, you're you're you're, you're ill. You're, 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 you know, you're 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 very very violently ill. So, I'd been I'd been ill, but uh, so at that point, I um, a couple of um, obviously, there's always paramedics on hand for this kind of thing. I was I was propped back up in my seat i was um given a lot a whole load of paracetamol glasses of water did you undergo a pumping 
uh, it was just a quick pumping. I, I, I didn't have to go on under, you know, I didn't have to go under the under the knife or anesthetic or anything, but just a quick, quick, um, just a, just it was just a, de- a desalmining hose. It's not so much a pumping. They, um, they have, they have to get it in the mouth. Luckily, luck, luckily, uh, luck, luckily, I, I was already just, um, just sort of repeatedly gagging anyway from the amount of salmon I'd eaten. So just they just wait for a wait for a gag, then um, just ram the um, the pipe down, uh, suck all that salmon out. Yeah, breathe. Got myself back together, and that was when I thought I just had this thought, this feeling. I couldn't, shouldn't shake it. Which is, um, I, I just, I actually really fancy some salmon here. Round two, and then it was round two. Uh, that this was the the uh, the jumbo salmon ball, which uh, they've been around for a few years now. If you ever, um, if you ever um, seen a 1950s uh, hair dryer that that the, the one of those ones sort of lowers down onto the um onto the lady's head i see so it's basically like that but but sam if you can imagine that as salmon's and that's heated up very very hot and then that's lowered down by a sort of mechanism you sit in a chair like like in a nine, well they sometimes give it a bit of a 1950s feel it's quite nice so the person uh, doing this thing will be quite with slick back hair they might be playing playing some um, johnny cochran music the hot salmon mass then lowers down onto your head and because it's so hot your head slips straight into it and then you've literally got to eat, eat your way out or die <laughs> it's brilliant because you're, you're encased in hot salmon your whole head it bloody hurts and uh, but it's such a buzz you're sort of laughing and puking at the same time it's weird it's, it's, it's so weird and extreme because you're eating the salmon bits of salmon are shooting up your nose in all your office in your ears really really hot you're kind of puking obviously but you might also be crying and then just laughing because you think, how the hell have I ended up here? You know, and then as you laugh, as you say that, more salmon goes in. And and then the whole time, all of the staff are around, they're hurling hot row at you as well, aren't they, at your body? Well, they, I tell you what, these days, um, they, they use, um, it's the equivalent of a flamethrower. But instead of flames, it, it's it's molten row that, that, that shoots out of it. So it's actually using the same, it's decommissioned ex-military uh, 70s flamethrowers that they use as i say everyone they've all got they're quite scary when you when you finally eat your way out of the sun it's quite scary you see all these scary you see all these these heads with these visors on shooting this molten stuff at you as soon as it hits your body it encrusts and you're then you're then trapped inside you're crusted into a, a row a, a kind of um hard row sort of carapace and then they just have to come at you with, uh, and this bit is not flash, you know, it's not glamorous, this bit. They have to come at you with the full DIY kit. So we're talking hammers, Phillips screwdrivers, yeah, just just whatever it takes. And um, it was quite a hard crust, I've got to say, on this one. I think they had they had to, um, I remember that they, I could feel that they'd, they'd shove my head in the door, they were slamming the door against it just to break through that head crust and ended up uh, dropping a breeze block on my head, which cracked it open. Also, at this point, obviously I had to have, this time it was a full stomach pumping, I had to have a very, very vigorous emergency sports massage of my um, upper torso. That was life-saving. Again, um, obviously, uh, loads more paracetamol. At this time, I actually had a, a sit-down and quite a stiff talking to from the captain. But, but how, you know, that, that feels hip- hypocritical to me. They're, they're offering the Salmon Lounge experience, exactly. and you're just, you're That's just exactly taking what it. I say. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, it's just Salmon. And that's actually what I was thinking as I was um, as I was leaving. I thought, you know what? I, I really, I, I, just, I couldn't help myself. I just, I, I just really do fancy just a little bit more salmon. So I went back in, and this was when I approached the the salmon moose. Right, round three, round three, and this is where um, things took a slightly sinister turn. 
as I approached the salmon moose, I, I could tell there was something wrong with it. Something wasn't quite right here. Right. It wasn't the size of the moose. It was. Um, it was about seven foot long. It was. There was nothing strange about that here. They, uh, it wasn't the shine on the moose. The moose, you know, you could see a face in it. Um, it was. Um, well, a classic salmon moose. Well, you're looking. Yeah, you're looking at a, a bright pink version of your own face. Uh, and it wasn't the fact that it was wobbling. Well, no, a good salmon moose is, uh, has to wobble. It has to wobble. Yeah, if, it, if, if it's not wobbling, do not eat it. That, that's how you. That's how you check if it's if if, it, if it's bad or not. If it's not wobbling, it, it's a bad moose. No, it was it was it was it was the way it was wobbling. It was there was something about the way it was wobbling that what just was a little bit off. Nevertheless, took the trowel and I approached it, and I thought, you know, it's going to take more than a, a sort of wonky wobble to put this guy off his off his salmon today. Um, then I noticed the eyes, and um, that they, they, they just weren't. It didn't have the right number of eyes because normally, obviously, it comes with the glassade salmon eyes. Yeah, yeah, normally. Any salmon moose, it's a maritime tradition. It will be sculpted to have a, a, a rough replication, a, a rough estimation of the captain's face. That, that, that's what they do. So they're using only features from from a salmon. So there'll be the fish eyes for the um, which they'll organise. You know, they'll arrange them to look a bit like the captain, and obviously the fish, the fish mouth. I mean, it, it, it's it's not the most flattering portrait generally. It's um, it's kind of horrifying, tiny little sort of looks like a little screaming little tiny mouth. But you know they'll approximate the captain's face with the moose, and then it's just maritime tradition. And then if the ship goes down, the captain can only leave the ship once he's eaten his own face in moose form. Um, but uh, yes, it didn't have the right. It had, it had three eyes. Um, right, and 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 you'd met the captain because he'd remonstrated with you previously that morning, so you knew that he only had two eyes. Yeah, he had the, he had two eyes. I looked at the eyes, and that's why I noticed that one of them was winking. I was terrified i i took my trowel and i i scraped i scraped away at the moose around those eyes and sure enough i was staring at the very human very real face of a great novelist but also a massive bastard jonathan franzen he had clearly stowed himself away inside the salmon moose. I did what anyone else would have done in the situation. I stuffed as much salmon moose into my pockets as I could, and I got the hell out of there. I first became aware that Jonathan Franzen was on board uh, when I went to the, the bar, I had breakfast, uh, and asked for, you know, stiffening brandy uh, to steady the old hands ahead of the operation that afternoon and uh, they said that all of the spirits on board had been drunk dry. Uh, bear in mind we could still see Southampton at this point, uh, so there was only one explanation. Frenzen and his rowdy little gang of literary luminaries had somehow got on the ship. Uh, obviously this was some cause for concern as I knew about Michael's past with that crew but I told myself today is a big day for Michael uh, you know he'll, he'll be nowhere near this lot he'll be in his cabin finishing his will and rubbing fish oils and apple cider vinegar into his face as instructed well how wrong I was find out what happened to Michael next week in the next edition of Banyan the defacening the defacing. 
Banya and the Defacening is a production of the Beef and Dairy Network. The producer was Alan Wamboni. The music and sound design by Erasmus Donkeyfield. Help came from Susanna Blanket, Hannah St. Sternold, and Hernald Yom. Banya and the Defacening was created by Crabmeat Dixon and was edited by Quincy Wincy Tramasco St. John and a team of trained pigs. Our director of sound design is also a pig. Our fact checkers are Adam Sitcomb and Caitlin Timetable. The exec producer was Talon Yambolier. Stephen Bonfield kept buying sandwiches and big boxes of dates, even though nobody wanted to eat them. And there was this guy called Charles, at least I think he was called Charles, who was hanging around. And it was only after three weeks that anyone was like, hey, do you even work here? And then he just started crying and ran out of the office and all staplers and post-it notes were falling out of the bottom of his trousers. And I don't know whether it was that he wasn't looking where he was going, or maybe it was just the tears welling in his eyes, or maybe he's just a bit of a, a daft plonker. Charles, at least I think he was called Charles, ran out into the road. And when a truck hit him, all the hundreds of pens he'd stolen from the office burst out from under his shirt, like a sort of stationary-based piñata. When the various items of stationery settled, there he was, Charles, well, I think his name was Charles, himself stationary, but the other kind of stationary. Rest in peace, Charles. At, at least I think it's Charles. What's that? He wasn't called Charles. Oh, that's right. No, it wasn't called Charles. His name was Van Beek. Banyan the Defacening was made possible by funding from the Sid Onion Fund, the Buck P. Mitchell Foundation, and everyone who supported Beef and Dairy Network through the Max Fund Drive by going to maximumfun.org forward slash join. Hello, just another little message from me about the Max Fund Drive. Um, it's on for two weeks. I'm going to do a few little fun things, maybe some Reddit Ask Me Anythings. Have a look out for those. I'll publicize those on the social medias also on thursday the 5th of may um it looks like i'm going to be doing a live stream on twitch again look on social media for details about that and there'll be another episode of uh, banyan the defacing this time next week and if you like the show why not consider going to maximumfund.org forward slash join and becoming one of the wonderful people who support the existence of this show I really appreciate it and it makes a huge difference. So to those of you who already do or are going to do so, thank you very much. See you next week. Help me. I will never taste beef. We will never taste beef. It's the robot's curse.